Welcome back to the Bait and Switch Studios. Today we have Crocker Stevenson with us. He's a veteran reporter with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Yes, I got to know Crocker through his wife, and she said he would be interested in coming down here and doing an interview. And it was a really good interview. Uh, we hope to have Crocker back in the future. Sit back and enjoy. Your podcast starts now. Welcome. This is Richard Wilson. If your seat backs and tray tables are not already in their full upright positions, it's too late. Brace for impact. It's the Bait and Switch Podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch Podcast. As always, my name is Chris Beyer. My co-host is Jim Martin. And our guest tonight is a man by the name of Crocker Stevenson. He uh, works at the Milwaukee Journal, and I'm sure he's got a lot of interesting stories about that. Uh, welcome, Crocker. Hello. Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover. I think we're already behind, actually. I'm getting a little I worried. I think so, here. too, yeah. Yes, a lot of things we got explored. I'm kind of concerned, actually, already that we're too far behind. Okay. Try and keep up, Joe. Okay, Crocker, sorry. can sorry. you keep up? It's, sorry. it's been uh, hard already. Yeah, I'll work right. on it. Sometimes I get kind of hard on myself because I consider myself a professional, well, more of a paraprofessional podcaster. And that's a high compliment. <laughs> There's a couple things I want you to know. We are true freshman podcasters. We're not redshirt freshman podcasters. No, we're true freshmen. Yeah. 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 We didn't sit a year out. Yeah. We just, we just you weren't went, injured. Just went jumped right, right into in. the fire. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. This is actually, we've been doing this for about five months. Yeah. I, I mean, can we, tell. Right. Seasoned <laughs> rookies. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it's been closer to about a it's, year. It's been like a year. I was just saying, yeah, we, we've really, we started recording last June. You know, oftentimes the first question I like to ask you guests is about their name. So, what is your name? It's Ronald Scott Crocker Stevenson, though that's not my birth name. I, my birth name was Ronald Scott Skorinsky. Okay. Well, so this <laughs> is there's a tale behind this. All right. Okay. So um, I'm from North Carolina. My mother died when I was 15. Her last name was Crocker. Betty Crocker. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> really? Betty Claire Crocker. Really? Yeah. And yeah, it's absolutely. not the no. Betty Crocker, is it? Unfortunately. No, that would no. be amazing fact, if he just came into our studio here. Yeah, no, my mom was she was a terrible, her. terrible cook. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she was. She was absolutely horrible. She she kind of grew up in an affluent family, and, the, um, and she had never cooked anything. And then she married my dad, Ron Skarinski, who had grown up in a Polish immigrant family. Um, my dad was in the army. He was in uh, stationed in St. Louis. He was studying optics. Was in a car accident and broke his jaw. And his oh. jaw was wired shut. And my dad has this like grating Yankee upstate New York accent. No, oh, interesting. And my mother okay. had this, you know, just old South kind Too of South, right. vo uh, voice, uh, but she couldn't hear him talk because his jaw was wired shut. And she was a candy striper at this hospital. She she didn't know what he sounded like supposedly, and I'm not sure this is true. But this is the story is that he asked her to marry her, marry him in a note. And she accepted and still had in a not note? heard it. In a yeah, note? No, 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 sign language. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so, she had never heard his voice. And when they took the unwired his jaw and he was able to talk, she's like, oh, my God, I'm in so much trouble. I mean, <laughs> what it wasn't, have I done? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't just his his Catholicism. It wasn't just he was an immigrant. It wasn't. It wasn't that he was a Yankee, but his voice was just so uh, extre extremely awful. Oh really? That, yeah. <laughs> what have I done? 
yeah. go back to the so, notes. So yeah. anyway, <laughs> put, put that's the wire back on. Right. That's right. But so I grew up in North Carolina mostly. I went to law school. And I was going to practice law. I thought Skarinski was kind of a hard name to sell as an attorney. So I changed my name to Stevenson, which my father's father's name was Stephen, and then Crocker. My mother by that point had died, and so Crocker to honor my mom and Stevenson to honor my father's side of the family. And, I, and there are many people on my father's side of the family whose last name is either Stevens or Stevenson. Okay. I, I tell you, that's charisma. Wow. If you can work the ladies with the jaw wired shut. <laughs> no he kidding. was a rake. Yeah. Oh, he was super handsome. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. He was yeah. a fantastic note writer. That was, you know, that's what got no, him. No, you know, that's the yeah. thing is you look at these notes and you think, Wow, what was he doing with his eyebrows while she was reading this? I mean, the, uh, they're terrible. I mean, he was, very, he was not only a bad speaker, he was, I, and I know that my dad's probably going to hear this, but he was pretty, he's still today, when he sends me a card, mm -hmm. I kind of understand what he's talking about. Yeah. But when he's talking, I have no idea what he's yeah. talking about. So, that's, How old is your dad? He's 86. 86. Okay. And he lives in Davidson, North Carolina. The town is mostly like a college town, coffee right. shops and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He walks up and down the street, popping into places and just talking to people. Yeah. Nice. Endlessly. All the time. No one, no one has any idea what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. I don't think he knows what he's saying. Yeah. I, I was down the, I was down there uh, just uh, about four weeks ago, but I went on one of his wild rampages down mm -hmm. uh, the center of Davidson. She's this 86 year old man. Dressed like an 86 year old Southern man, you know, like the white pants, uh -huh. you know, just a little bit below the chest. Looks like Matlock. Right? Yes. Right. Well, no, 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 not that good. Okay. He is going to listen to this, by the way. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I, I shouldn't say that. He's, he's a, actually a snappy dresser. And then he has a girlfriend, Edie. She's great. Wonderful woman. Yeah. Uh -huh. I can, I can make fun of my dad, but I can't make fun yeah. of Edie. Yeah. So, we'll we'll she, edit this in such be, a way that it comes across lovingly. Right, <laughs> yes, right. right. No, no, and Edie is a, a wonderful person. Now, you work for the journal. We're going to talk about that a bit. But you're a master of the written word, and we like to think of ourselves as a master of the spoken word. <laughs> I, uh, I saw a... Uh, we like to think of ourselves that way. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Recently, I was surprised I heard a linguistic study said mm -hmm. that 90% of communication is just 500 words. I think that's really, really something. I think really, really, really. I think, I think that's really something. <laughs> something's one of your 500. Right? One of your 500 it's, words is and, something. Yeah, and stuff. And stuff. And yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's something and stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I could, I could go on. Well, you know, the, uh, people say things over and over and over again. And of course, reporters do also. We write, it is, there's like a newspaper sound that people have in their writing. I think it's a pretty boring right. thing to listen to, mm -hmm. um, or read. So I try not to write that way. Um, yeah. Where did you go to college for journalism? I didn't study journalism. I, I was a well, studied for literature. Next question. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be short. Yeah. yeah. We just uh, caught up right there. Yeah, we're right, way behind. We're way behind now. Here now we are. we're Boom. caught up. Now <laughs> we got to stretch it out. Yeah. Well, I went to, I, I was going to be a Lutheran minister. So I, I went to uh, a little Lutheran college in North Carolina. And okay. then, um, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't really believe in God. So it okay. was a problem. It's going to be a problem being a minister. Not yeah. a terrible yeah. problem in the Lutheran church. 
Yeah. But the, um, <laughs> but a problem. So, um, then I went to graduate school at Wake Forest uh-huh. and I studied English. And then I went to law school at Carolina. Uh, okay. Chapel Hill. I liked law school, but really despised practicing law. I clerked during the summer. Okay. It seems to be a common thread. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to be a Lutheran minister. Didn't believe in God. Yeah, I was going to be a lawyer. Yeah. Didn't really, I really like hated the law. law. I liked studying law and I liked being in law school. I liked, uh, other students. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. And law school is not very hard at all. I mean, I, I, I never bought a textbook after my first semester. Really? The biggest thing though I learned in law school was just how smart some people are. I would hear people argue about stuff that I had no idea what, what, what they were talking yeah, about, yeah, but doing? they would get impassioned. Yeah. Sure. They would say, you, sir, are wrong. You yeah. are wrong, sir. Yeah. Or they bang the commercial table. papers bang, bang. are not that way. <laughs> right. And, the, and, you, and I'd be like, I don't even know what you mean. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I was going to be a trial lawyer. You don't have to really know much law. No. no. no you, your Honor, I implore you. you Objection. Permission to treat the witness as hostile. Hostile is yeah. one of the yeah. 500 words you're going to need. Yes, yeah. definitely. Um, so, you, so, you didn't want to be a lawyer after after, after clerking during the summer. Yeah. I, I clerked for a criminal law firm. Liked it. I mean, I liked... Uh, the idea of it. But here's the big difference between law and journalism. If you're a trial lawyer and a journalist do almost exactly the same thing. They go out, they collect information, and then they present a story. Sure. The uh, lawyer is presenting a, a story to either the judge or more likely a jury. And so his obligation is not to lie, but to tell a, a version of the truth that is most flattering to his client. A journalist, on the other hand, same thing. You go out and you gather facts, put that together in a story. Mm-hmm. But your obligation is to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. So to me, there's something a little bit insane about being a lawyer. Right. You're a better lawyer if you're able to deceive yourself about what you're talking about. And you come across as genuine, as many of the best attorneys are. Sure. Passionately. Passionate. And, yep. Yep. That's because they unhinge their, their themselves yeah. from reality. Yeah, but they have a different objective, right? And they have to serve the objective, which is their client. Yeah. And like you said, they have to ignore those parts of the story which don't fit as well and, uh, and emphasize those parts that will help their client. Yeah. That's my job as the editor of these podcasts. I tend to edit these podcasts. And once we get done with this podcast, I'm going to have to take what you've said and actually – have people think that you're interesting. It's going to be a difficult that's, that's right. job. Right. Yeah. I'm going to have to take all those parts, those things that aren't interesting, out, and I'll be left with probably well, you know, Now you know the hell that I live in because, <laughs> I mean, I talk to people like you all the time. <laughs> and I'm judged by how many clicks, how many people come to the story. And um, it's it's a tough job to make a uh, silk purse out of a sauce. I won't know? lie to you, and maybe I do this too much. Our venture here is zero profit. It's just for fun. Really? Yes. <laughs> At this point. You find that surprising? Yeah. I can't believe it when I see well, the quality see the, of the, this. the production. Oh, really? I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, we've, we've been, I won't say begging, but we've been requesting donations for a couple of weeks now. I don't think we've actually received a dime. No. These no good, good for nothing <laughs> Freeloading listeners that we've got. That are, so that's our li- that's our yeah. readers. That's your readership. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We uh, we do this for the love of it. We do it for the the art of it. I like putting together something that I think is listenable that uh, me and Jim can be proud of. We work together on this, but 
again, you talk about clicks. Once a day, I take a look at my numbers. I want to see how many people are actually listening to these things. Right. And when there's a day that there's 40 downloads as opposed to four, I get a shot of endorphin rush. You know, that like, hey, people are actually paying attention to what we're doing. Yeah, that's we, nice. We should, uh, we should mention that we're not opposed to people giving us money. No. It's just that no. at this point, they haven't. No, so, uh, I, I mean, have but a couple we were, of dollars I'd be happy to we, leave. Well, if you just want to leave it on the table out. on your way out, that'd be great. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the cost of the microphone. That's but that's, that's the fun of journalism, too, though, mm -hmm. uh, is when you're confronting a chaotic situation. And to, on deadline, mold that into some coherent story. Mm -hmm. And so you work furiously to get all the information you can. And then you leave some time to write that story. Sure. And, um, and that's kind of what you do here. You, you fish around, have, ask questions, stuff like that. But the, it is a great feeling to me the next day when I look at that story and I see a coherent account of what was hours of chaos the night before. Right. In a similar vein, we will tape somebody for an hour and I listen to it the first time I'm thinking, this is terrible. Yeah. There's nothing here. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to be interested. And then, you know, I will sit down Craft and edit it, out certain things and move things around, get rid of about half of it. And then I listen to it and think, hey, that's not that bad. It's pretty it's good. pretty good, yeah. yeah. Have you ever uh, listened to a podcast and say, I have no memory of doing that? There, there are times when I go back and I don't remember what we talked about. I'll tell you the shocking thing for me is because I've begun to lose my vision, so I can't take notes any longer and right. read my notes. So that what that requires me to do now is record my interviews, which I never did before. Hmm. And so when I started recording myself, I realized how often I interrupted the person that was talking. I'm I, not going to say anything from now on. Yeah, no, no, no I'm not. I wasn't. <laughs> that wasn't a hint. <laughs> but a lot of times you ask questions looking for a response. Right. So here's like a terrible question. It would be like, so how did that feel? And then the person you're asking says, it felt like a, felt like, and then you say, misery. And they're like, misery. <laughs> misery, yeah, right. And then you're like, I can't use that quote, can I? No, right. I, 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 just, I just made I, it. I, I, I'm the one that said misery. I think that was the lawyer coming out yeah. in you. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yes, and yeah. answered. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's another one of the, my 500 words. <laughs> the, um, uh, so then the transition from law to uh, journalism, when did that happen? Uh, so when I got out of law school, which was in 80, around 85. Now, did you actually complete law school? Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. And I liked law school. Yeah. It's just law. The lawyer part. Was, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just gross. Mm -hmm. and, um, <laughs> and it was. I, I would be embarrassed sometimes. Yeah. I, I'll just say this. I've been, you know, we talked about money for the podcast. The first sponsor I'm looking at is Gruber Law. So I'm not sure if this is yeah. going to sell. Gruber Law. <laughs> you notice that he always says wreck. Correct. Have you been in a wreck? Yeah. It's a legal thing. He doesn't want to imply any kind of. Was it an accident? If it was oh. an accident, who's who's responsible for that accident? Okay. Are you 100% responsible or 50% responsible? Doesn't want to bring up the concept of accident. David Gruber is a local attorney in Milwaukee, and he's known for his commercials, which are kind of eccentric. I was watching one the other day. What's with his head? Why does he, he always shake his, his head, head so much? Gruber Loft. Now, you can't see this. Maybe you can hear my shaking. Gruber Loft. But he's a, he's a tall... Yeah. yeah, lanky guy. Yeah, oh yeah. His head shakes because there's a lot. There's like, a lot of person there to keep it's true organized. It's like a human bobblehead. 
Yeah. I've never seen him in the courthouse, ever. You've been to the courthouse a number of times. And he's uh, yeah, yeah, I've been to the okay. courthouse. At one point, I was at the courthouse virtually every single day for about five years. I've never seen him there. I'm assuming really? he's just the figurehead. Or the bobblehead. The bobblehead. Uh, <laughs> that he just, you know, he's just, the, he's, he's the man behind the curtain. Yeah. The, in civil law, which is what he does, mm-hmm. um, you don't want to go to court. Once you're in court, you're losing money. It's, yeah. oh, it's, yeah. you want to stay out of court. You yeah. want to, so so I think of, it uh, might be a sign of what a good lawyer is that okay. you never see him in court. Right. Just a lot of, uh, deals made yeah. beforehand. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So we'll settle this out of court. That's yeah. another one I use as a yeah. lawyer. How about we settle this out of court? Yeah, I did the one time sit on a jury, which oh. you know normally, if when you're impaneling a jury, that's an art. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I think, hold on, I'll just say this: impaneling is not one of the 500 words that's no. the most common word. I don't think nope. that is. And you don't want a lawyer or a journalist on right. your on there because, right. first of all, journalists and both. And then what are they doing? I couldn't. And it was a civil case. Whoa! Okay. Right to deliberate, which I, I mean, I was the foreman. So I, this was a wreck. It was a wreck. Okay. It was a car wreck. Yeah. So, uh, so you went back there, and it was like twelve angry men. Where you just where you grabbing people by the lapels. And I went out and investigated on my own. Oh, yeah. really? No. <laughs> That's chalk, what happens to twelve angry men. <laughs> you know, the police tried. They did their best, but I'm going to solve this. Yeah. We'll figure you this crack out. Crack the yeah. case. Yeah. So, um, so being this journalism person on the jury, did you feel the the need to take over the the yeah, I, I didn't feel the need to, but I did. <laughs> well, I mean, because you don't want to sit there all day, so it's true. Yeah, so you kind of keep everybody in line. You say, "Look, here, are the, here's the issue. We're out of there in ten minutes. Boom, nice. Out. Yeah, fastest jury deliberations ever. Yeah, was that or uh, O.J. Simpson? I think O.J. Simpson was like five minutes. O.J. It was quick. Yeah, it was quick. Yeah, yeah it was quick. what was the glove? Yeah. I was at Mr. Perkins Family Restaurant, which is on Atkinson. Watched it there. Um, and that's an African American restaurant. They're one of our sponsors. Great people. Yeah. Mr. Perkins, fantastic. Mrs. Perkins, fantastic. They're now one of your sponsors. <laughs> they might be now. <laughs> no, they're great people. And oh, the, yeah. They're our sponsors. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the joy in that restaurant was astounding. And I thought, wow, I, I'm, I'm surprised at that verdict. And I was, I thought it was, a travesty mm-hmm. and um got back to the newsroom started people start calling and you know in their notes and stuff like that it was clear never had race in the united states been clearer to me than as i was writing that story and wrote and was able to write as my lead it was like two different worlds responding mm-hmm. to the verdict yeah huh. that was really something so you've been at the journal for how long 32 years what are some of the most interesting stories that you've covered the story that probably I covered this had the most impact on me um, was I was a witness to Timothy McVeigh's execution. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and so I was one of 10 media witnesses. It was just the whole procedure was bizarre. He was the first person executed by the federal government since 1964. As opposed mm-hmm. to state governments. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Texas has been knocking them off. Sure, yeah. Ta- yeah, right. <laughs> no, uh, you just look like a criminal. Yeah, bam, right. bam. <laughs> so the, uh, this was in Oklahoma where it happened, right? Right. But the trial took place in Denver, and the execution took place in um, Terre Haute. Uh, Indiana. Indiana, right. Oh, okay. So why were so few people chosen, and why were you one of them? Well, so there's a, so that's the only federal penitentiary that still has a death chamber. So that's why it was Terre Haute. Okay. 
So there were about 3,000 journalists there. Um, so we decided there would be two people from the local media from Oklahoma City. And then there would be a wire service, like the Associated Press, the United Press. So that it finally came down to like there were four spots for the rest of the 3,000 of us. Okay. And so we thought, well, how are we going to do this? Right. And um, mm-hmm. so so what we decided is to just to cast lots. Um, I am, I was at Oklahoma City after the explosion and interviewed people whose children had been killed, who had been uh, sliced to pieces by glass, um, who had, I mean, it was horrific. I'd, I'd stood, uh, you know, two blocks from the federal building watching firefighters in the morning march down the, the, the street to go look for, for survivors that weren't there mm-hmm. and watch them come back in the evening covered with dust, coughing, uh, finding no one. It was very, very wow. sad. Yeah. Horrific place. And one of the, the, looked at the, the federal building at night, had all these lights on it. Mm-hmm. And you had all this uh, steel work and stuff like that hanging off the ragged front of the building. And then at night, it just, that steel and that, and the rebarb and stuff like that was just illuminate from the lights on it. It was just yeah. so surreal Eerie. and spectacular. Yeah. And so, um, and so I had very strong feelings about Timothy McVeigh. So I wanted to be a witness to the execution because it was an historic event. You were there at the beginning and then you were there at the end. Yeah, but I'm really just personally find killing people horrible. You got to go yeah. out on that limb? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, even killing uh, Timothy McVeigh. Oh, sure. Okay. Right. right. Just in, Which uh, is questionable. Right. I mean, I, right. I, I'd written a piece... A few days before the execution about what, what a horrible, horrible thing this had been. Right. But anyway, so, um, so we chose lots at four in the morning of the, the execution took place at seven in the morning. At four in the morning, we met at this building on the federal penitentiary grounds, the reporters that were able to get up. So they had knocked it down to about 300 mm-hmm. and, um, chose lots. And I got one of the spots and I immediately threw up. There were two newspaper spots. Two television spots, two newspaper spots, and I immediately threw up. I just, and then I called my wife and said, don't let the kids watch TV tomorrow morning. I don't want them to watch me on TV talking about this execution. And sure. I was just horrifying. And then wow. you, um, and then, uh, they put us on a bus and drove into the center of the, of the prison yard. And then we waited for the execution to be, to start. And, um, uh, Shepard Smith was on the bus. Right. And I was thinking, Shepard Smith, oh man, that guy. And, the, um, and yet. <laughs> you loved him. Yeah. He's a great guy. Anyway. I didn't know anything about him, but I was just thinking, oh, you know, here we got this network guy. He's going right. to, and he, he turns around and he says, okay, listen, I just want to say this. This is not about you. Don't get up there and say it was horrible. I feel this way or that. This is not, this is an historic moment. This isn't about you. And he was right on the money. I mean, mm-hmm. he was, he was excellent. So we go into this little room. The execution chamber is in the center, and there are uh, several rooms with glass windows facing the execution chamber. And there's uh, one for the media, one for federal government, one for the witnesses, and one for the uh, victims' families. And then, but there were ten people from Oklahoma City that were there, and and there's just this drape. There's seats, but nobody's sitting. We're all at the window right. with our nose 
pressed against the window. Yeah. And, and suddenly the drape pulls apart like theater. Like, right. like this is a show. There's Timothy McVeigh on a gurney, arms strapped in, and he pulled against his, the straps. Right. And looked towards the journalism window and looked at each one of us. Wow. So we were, so expecting- he could see you. Obviously, it wasn't like a two-way mirror or whatever. We were expecting, yeah, like, boy, talk about feeling like a vulture. And so he met each person's face. Yeah. And if you go back and listen to the reporters talking about, that was chilling. And um, yeah. And so, but you're, you you slip into this mode where you're no longer like human. You're mm-hmm. a journalist there. You know, you right. got it like, you know, where's the warden standing? Where's the doctor standing? And which tube filled up with what color? fluid first right. and that kind of stuff just you know taking down all these notes and then like like there was this one moment where just me came back in mm-hmm. and i threw up again which would have been horrible yeah right but the, um but the sadness of of the moment to me of, of for the other nine of us right to be there in the window to be the eyes of the other, everyone, yeah, right. we were going to go back and tell our stories. And um, it was sickening. But part of the point in the story is that I was so worried that I would be selected to do this that I didn't sleep the night before we did the selection. Then I didn't sleep the night of. So I had gone like 48 hours without any sleep. Oh, I was man. writing my story. and That'll um, mess with your head too a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. it was very emotional. Yeah, right. Why did you rip up the ticket and then they call the say, number? I was going to say, did you, you couldn't opt out of this? No, I didn't want to. Oh, yeah. okay. Because oh, you, did, you, you so didn't want to okay. be there and you wanted to be there. Sure. Right. I mean, sense. I as a human being didn't want to be there. I as, right. a, as a journalist yeah. didn't want to miss that. And right. especially, like you there. say, because you were there the day after. It's almost, a, I would think, a sense of completion of the whole event. Yeah. You know how people talk about completion, the sense of, of closure. Um, closure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think non-closure may be healthy and closure might be a little bit too much sometimes if it's if a story is all locked up at the end mm-hmm. it's just such an object in your head right you don't mm-hmm. it's not it's like it's like the rock of gibraltar it's not going to change much mm-hmm. it's there that story's all locked up whereas if there were loose ends in the story this it remains a little bit vague in your head the whole experience left you just as sure of your convictions yeah, I I don't think we should kill people. Yeah, I, you know what I think ought to maybe be the way to go is uh, allow the people who suffered mm. in Oklahoma City right. to kill him, like have put him in a in an arena. Yeah, arm them with swords and knives and screwdrivers. I don't know where this is going? <laughs> screwdrivers yeah, right. and, and right. hammers. <laughs> I mean, then then I get that. I yeah. see that, but to pretend. We're civilized people. We kill people. You know, Nietzsche once said that the problem with today is not the violence, but it's that the violence is there's not enough blood in it. We're not splattered by the blood. Yeah. And mm. I think that that was the problem with Timothy McVeigh's execution is that it's no one got clean. splattered. Yeah. Oklahoma City was a bloody mess. Yeah. His execution was a visit to the hospital. I think we're right. going to get Nietzsche in here. Yeah. I think we'll call I him. I think he's next. Well, I think he's next week. He I've be been misquoted. Yeah. <laughs> His like. Well, with that, let's wrap up the first half, and we will come back for the second half. Okay. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast when our guest, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinels, Crocker Stevenson, goes all fanboy for our podcast.
Well, it's hopefully true. afterwards yeah. you will yeah. listen to this, and my our views will go up from three today to four. To or four, like maybe, that. maybe, oh, maybe like four, four and yeah. a half. Yeah, I think your wife's a fan. She is a yeah. fan. Is she? Yeah. Yep. She, she, so she's listening to it. No, she's a fan of me. Oh, oh I don't know sure. what you're talking yeah. about. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, she hates this. <laughs> this is no good. Did- You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.